watching the world pass us by. Depeche to the world! Alright, so what's up everybody? Welcome to Music Maniacs with Side After Dark. We are back. We're Side After Dark. I'm Dan Berg. I'm Sifa Graffiti. So we are talking about a band today that is definitely one of the most influential bands of the 1980s. Absolutely. And going into the 90s, and obviously we'll talk about that. Um, if you can't tell who it is, there is a hint. Mm-hmm. And it may be on my body right now, mm-hmm. but we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about Depeche Mode, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And if you're wondering why you should listen to us, people you probably don't know, talk about music. <laughs> it's because we are a band in Brooklyn, New York. We play shows all around New York City. Uh, we just got done with our second off-Broadway show. And we've been playing music between us for many, many years. I thought it was because we were Depeche Mode. Oh, they're also that. Talking well, about ourselves. It's supposed to be a secret. I'll edit that part out. It's fine. Um, yeah, so we like to think that we know a little bit about music. We yeah. have been studying it and playing it for many, many years in our lives. Yeah. And we are very excited to share our enthusiasm of music with anyone that decides to listen. Hopefully you. Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, if not, that's okay. That's okay. We'll just go cry in a corner later. Cry. We go cry. Yeah, go, tell us in the comments how much you hate us, and then we'll go read them and cry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're going to talk about Depeche Mode. Oh, yeah. And I'm really excited for it. Me too. Let's do it. So I want to say before we like really get into it, like how I guess this the idea for doing the Depeche podcast came about. Yeah. Um, because I want to say, so I always knew of Depeche Mode, like my whole life, Yeah. you know, I mean, they were, I was born in 94. So by the time I was born, they were already a big band. Huge. Yeah. Huge. So growing up hearing music, I already, I always knew certain songs from them. Yeah. Um, and I always kind of had an idea of who they were, but I wasn't like a huge super fan, Mm -hmm. but my girlfriend loves them. Yes. So like pretty recently they were playing a show in New York Mm -hmm. that was like right around her birthday. So I'm like, let me be the greatest boyfriend ever and get tickets, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to have fun at the show. I know they're great, but I was really more excited to do it for her. Yeah. But then we get there and the show happens and it was amazing. Of course. I was completely blown away by how good the show was. Like it's one of those things like, you know, I became such a bigger fan of them after seeing them live. Uh And I think that's one of the greatest compliments you can give like a musician or really a performer of any kind. Yeah. 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 And, and in, in talking about them through research, one of the things that was said was they were just amazing live. Mm-hmm. And then the first person that signed them said that. Like, you yeah. know, once I saw them live, they were just great. I mean, I pretty much cut my teeth on Depeche Mode because it's like growing up, people were playing the Violator album mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Everybody was blasting. Every type of person was blasting. Enjoy the silence or personal Jesus. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So when you brought the idea of doing a Depeche Mode podcast, I said, why not? My sister's a huge fan. She probably, I would say she introduced me to Depeche Mode. So, yeah. of course. Yeah, cool. Because I was going to ask what your like perception of them was before doing research for the podcast and if it's like changed at all after this no no i just know more about them um they were never my band like my Mm -hmm. favorite band but i did enjoy a lot of music from them and i do like them and uh recognize respect and love their place in the world and they've been on many lists of bands that have changed the world and i can definitely agree oh yeah they i mean the 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 influence that they've had on music i would say modern music like especially like electronic dance music yeah is like insane oh yeah and like i'll get into it a little more because we we want to get into the history of the band soon but i do want to say like you know i go to a lot of different kinds of shows i've go to like you know rock shows rap shows uh edm shows and it's like after seeing them live i'm like they these guys were doing like everything that big edm djs have been doing yeah since like the 80s yeah like it's crazy yeah without getting ahead of ourselves i, I feel like they're where uh, everybody wanted Joy Division with Ian to mm. go, you know, and it's yeah, like, you know, Joy Division. yeah, Ian dying around the time that Depeche started coming out. I, pre- I feel like that kind of passed the torch in a way. Interesting. I in honestly didn't really think about that. Singer-wise. Yeah. You know, singer huh. and sound combined. Yeah. Well, let's, okay, we'll talk about that more. But So let's get into the actual history of Depeche Mode. Um, so they were formed in Basildon, England. Mm-hmm. A post-war town. They made that town after the war. And it had a lot of high crime there after a Which while. Which were English Civil War? Yes, yes. Um, actually, <laughs> <laughs> the 
That's the actually American. Let me stop. No, but yeah, after the World War, they made that town. Um, they kind of did it with Rockland County here. It's a town where pretty much we moved all the soldiers that came back home. They wanted oh, to start some families okay. and stuff like that. That Put makes them sense. In, in blah 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 town because it's like twenty six miles away from London. Is yes. what I heard. Twenty six miles east. Yeah, and it's kind of a working class area. Correct. Exactly. And because what I've heard of is like I actually saw an interview with them of like lately, like a year or two ago. Where he was wearing like these super like red like flamboyant boots, uh-huh. and uh, he was on the they were on an interview with Ricky Gervais, and he was like making fun of him. He's like, "Oh, that goes over really well in Essex, huh? Because uh, Essex is the the state that Basildon is or whatever." And then I saw Martin Gore, who is a member of the band. We'll talk about the band members later. Um, he was saying that he was like in a pub and he had his nails painted. As is like, it's not really super uncommon now. Yeah. And he kind of like forgot where he was. Yeah. <laughs> and some dude was just like. Oi, the fuck is on your fingers? And he's kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess that's not really cool here. Like, yeah. like, it's just not really, like, the vibe, I guess, of where they're from. You which... would get jumped in Basildon. Basildon. Yeah. Basil. Basil. I'm saying Basil because I'm American. I'm sorry, but it is Basildon. That's the way they pronounce it. Oh, well, whatever. We're Americans. We can say whatever we want. You're not going to stop us. Red, white, and blue. Freedom. <laughs> but, um, yeah, okay, so they were formed in Basildon, and... It was three people at first. So it was Vince Clark, who was the main songwriter. Yes. And then Andy Fletcher. Andy Fletcher, yeah. And then, oh, no, I was just oh, going with sorry. you. I was going along with you. <laughs> and Martin. I was being your backup. And Martin Gore. Martin Gore. Martin Gore. And uh, <laughs> a guy that you may know by the name of Dave. Get him. Yes. So so originally it was them three. And they actually started off as a pretty typical like guitar band. Yeah. Um, the way that Dave, the lead singer, got into the band was they saw him performing a cover of Heroes by David Bowie. And I guess even back then he had, you know, some kind of crazy stage presence. Yeah. Because, you know, going back to the concert, that was one of the things that really blew me away. Still to this day, I mean, he's, they're in their 60s now. He was doing twirls and just spinning all over the stage and that is part insane. of it yeah we're, yeah. we're gonna really talk in depth about it but that is part of their pop success yes you know combined with their sound mm-hmm. is somebody that can move around and dance like that and also look so wholesome in the face so the music is serious and kind of depressed in a way but mm-hmm. he is having a great time right you know so you're definitely going to be connected to dave as a lead singer. Yeah, they needed somebody who could dance around and move because they were trapped by the instruments, the other members of the band in a way. Right, because they became, they started working with synthesizers instead yes. of guitars. And they, so they had like a drum machine and then they were just all like behind the synthesizers. Yes. And like kind of like in a box. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And then Dave comes out, you know, swirling, do, rolling you know, his of crazy hips all things. over the place. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. Whoa. And it's funny though, because they did, you know, Depeche, the Depeche that we think of, it is kind of, you know, like moody and like dark. Yeah. But it didn't necessarily start like that. No. Because the first album because vince was the main songwriter yeah and the first album um it was pretty poppy i mean it was they started as a pop band yeah you know what i mean but even okay wait so i want to say a few more things i have some notes because there's a lot of things that i want to make sure that i got about this so okay so first of all their original b- band name was what <clears throat> the composition of sound that's not pretentious at all. <laughs> <laughs> but but after they got Dave, he was like, hey, let's change it to Depeche Mode yeah. based on some like French magazine, magazine he was reading. Yeah, fashion magazine. Um, so they were playing at the pla- a place called the Crocs Club. I made a note of this for some reason. I thought this was really important at the time. I guess this was like one of the few places that was really playing like this kind of electronic music. Yeah. It was like, and they ended up becoming like the headliners of this club. Yeah, they so, really had a crocodile there. Yeah, well, they have, it was the Crocs club, so they actually had a few. All right, let's let's put this on the record, okay? Men of their word, okay? <laughs> Rare. But um, they were playing there, and a dude who was a member of some Bizarro record, that was the name of the record label, saw them and approached them to make a song for their compilation album they were making. Uh-huh. And that became their first recording, which was photographic. Okay, yeah. and so this is the thing. So again, so these early songs were written by Vince Clark, and they were very poppy, mm-hmm. right? They're very poppy, and they sounded very happy. They were kind of like light for the most part, very yeah. dancey. Yeah. It, the first album was more or less a dance record. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the thing that's really interesting about it, and I even have like, I wrote down quotes from these guys. Like I got a lot of notes on this. So so, 
synth was not a super popular instrument for like rock and pop music at the time because yeah. like pretty much everything was based on guitars. Yeah. I mean, people used synths before. Like I know like The Who used synths like in the early 70s. Like other people, experimental artists, progressive rock artists used a lot of synths before. Yeah, but they weren't forming their band around the synth. Right. Yeah. It wasn't like the instrument. Yeah. Like the guitar was pretty was much... the main instrument. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting is that who who said this? So there, um, someone that signed them, Daniel Miller, he said, I felt they were the first pop group to use use synths as the main instrument yeah, yeah which is really a huge deal when you think of what music is like today uh-huh. like the synth is most of it yeah you know what i mean and these were like the first guys are like this is everything mm-hmm. i mean they didn't even have we'll talk about this more obviously later but they didn't even have any guitars on their records until like four yeah. albums in yeah until a few albums in people were even making a uh articles about the death of the guitar <laughs> first of all how dare you how dare you but you know you're just trying to sell copies. my guitars would argue differently exactly they're very much alive here at sad studios <laughs> that's right um, but the first album was called speak and spell yes and this is you know it's honestly it's really interesting because of the way that it goes down so vince only was with them for that one album yeah Vince, they were getting a pretty good success. They were shopping their album around with a quarter-inch tape, like a reel-to-reel, you mm-hmm. know? So you would have to actually put it up and listen to it. So people were like, I don't want to listen to this. Like, you know, you have to actually fix a machine. It's a big thing. Yeah, so one person decided to listen to them, and they started getting on their way. And But Vince didn't really like the direction that the band was going in, mm-hmm. which is weird. Um, these guys were shopping around their music. They were finally getting heard. They were feeling the easiness of actually just taking a small synth, moving it around, not having to lug around big instruments to mm-hmm. go and shop and play for Especially people. Especially the drums. Yeah, they were really into that. And then um, all of a sudden, yeah, Vince starts uh, hating. <laughs> he pulls a Ricky Bobby's dad. That's what he did. You ain't first, you're last. Exactly. He's like, things are going pretty well here. So I'm out. I'm out. It's going yeah. Nice. Well, so yeah. So he left, and that's that's a really big deal in mm-hmm. the in the band because it's like it's almost like I almost think of the first album as like it's almost like pre Depeche Mode in a way. Yeah. Because after he leaves, Martin Gore becomes the main songwriter. Yeah. And his songs are a lot heavier. Like they have a lot. He's a lot moodier. A lot more like introspective themes as opposed to like the more pop music of the first album. In the first album, the, um, one of the most, I mean, the, the best example of this early Depeche style and the most famous example would be the song Just Can't Get Enough. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Like, you know, it sounds happy. The words aren't super deep. It's like, you know, like a pretty superficial love song, more or less. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's very, very childlike. And yeah, their producer, uh, Daniel Miller, um, he uh, appointed kind of uh, Martin to to write in the songs. Martin was a songwriter before, so but Vince was the main songwriter, and they said that when Vince decides to leave, um, Daniel's like, "It's it's gonna be all right. Everything's gonna be okay. <laughs> Everything's fine. Martin's gonna write the songs." You know? He's like, "Okay, <laughs> okay," and then that's just how it goes. And I have some interesting quotes from Martin from around this time. He said, um, to us, the synth was a punk instrument because it was fairly new and its potential was limitless. It really gave us a chance to explore, uh-huh. which I think is really interesting because, again, like at the time, guitars are the thing. Yeah. Right? So, but there, they're seeing this other instrument that's relatively new and they're like, wait a minute, we can do so much with this. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't have to do what these other guitar bands are doing. You know what I mean? We can do a whole different thing. Yeah. And then he goes on to say that we've got nothing against guitars, but it's so much easier with the synth. You have to be pretty good to use the guitar. Oh, wait, sorry. That was Andy Fletcher that said that. Mm-hmm. Andy Fletcher said that. Which, from now on, I'll just call him Fletch. <laughs> okay? But Fletch said that. And, like, that is... When you think of, like, what punk music is, that is, like, a huge... That's a great example of it. Because yeah. punk music is, like, you don't need to know how to play your instruments. Right. And it is a lot easier to just take a keyboard and be like, do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Than to learn how to play even basic guitar stuff. Yeah, guitar is very physical. You're matching your brain with your ability to move your fingers, you know, mm-hmm. very, very quickly. Where with a synth, you can get a really loud, full sound with just hitting one key. Yeah, and you you don't have to have as good of tech. Like, even, like, playing guitar, like, you have to have your finger a certain way so that, you know, the fret, so that it rings out, so yeah. that you don't block the other strings. But with a synth, anyone can go like this. And con- Dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and keep tapping it. Yeah. But to keep that sound on the guitar, it's like an actual physical thing right. that can hurt after yeah, a while. Yeah, and you get carpal tunnel syndrome, and it's uh, nobody likes that. <laughs> um, so they keep working on their sound after Vince leaves. Uh, the second album is called A Broken Frame. And 
this is where in my head this is where like it really like the progression of Depeche Mode begins mm. because looking back at it now you can kind of tell there's there it, the songs are getting a little more complex as far as the arrangements and stuff but like lyrically you know I feel like they didn't really find exactly what they were going to be yet right. because this was the first album where Martin was writing all the songs yeah so they had different things to figure out you yeah. know what I mean yeah and what's beautiful about this new Depeche Mode coming together after Vincent Clark leaves Vincent Clark had a very good uh, career after he left the band which mm-hmm. is like lightning struck twice for him for some yeah, reason yeah good for him good for him he must be a good guy yeah and um with Daniel Miller when they met him they uh, did a verbal contract with him they just felt his vibes and like actually trusted him. It was trust. Hey, you you won't fuck us over, right? You know. No. I, no, I won't. Okay, we like. Okay, you. you're in. Yeah, so that that's really really interesting to go yeah. through a first album and then another series of albums with the same guy. I'm sure they brought out the actual writing after a while. It's like okay. Hey. Somebody's got to tell who gets paid when. What we need uh, to figure out the royalties and the residuals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, initially, that's crazy. I do also want to say Alan Wilder joined the band. Yes. After Vince left, because they needed more people on the stage to help them with the sound. Because again, the sound is getting more complex. They couldn't just do it with three people. Right. And Alan Wilder is magnificent. Like you can yeah. tell when he joined. No offense to Vince, but Alan was clearly classically trained. Yes. And you can hear him Mozart in that shit. Yes. In the second <laughs> I like album. I like Mozart as a verb. That's good. Um, well, that's because well, that's actually the thing that's interesting is the second album. He wasn't actually on that album yet because he right. had just been like joined or whatever. Yeah. So he didn't actually start like his. He wasn't an official member until the third album. Yes, they didn't put his name on the second album, but right. he he did play on it. And that's uh, Construction Time Again is the third album. Mm-hmm. And I had to write all these out because they have like 15 albums, guys. So many. <laughs> they have a lot of albums. They have 17 top 10 albums. That is insane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is that top, that's top in UK? I no. Think. Top, in America? Top Or ten, singles? Yeah. Top 10 albums, like worldwide. Oh, shit. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah, wild. Um, and then, so yeah, so the third album, so they're continuing to like, really get deeper. And I feel like listening to the albums progress, like every album... It just, there's so much more depth to it. Yes. You know? It's true. Like, we really, you can, if you swallow them from the beginning, you really watch this band literally grow up. Yeah. Yeah, especially, well, like we were saying, like, the beginning, like, they're, not only are they very young, but the the music is simpler. It's, like, one note at a time on the synth, but there's just different layers of it. Mm. There's not as many tracks. It's pretty basic, relatively. And you would just listen to the first album now. It does sound a bit dated. I'm not going to lie. It does. Very dated to me. And, you know, some of it has to do with, you know, where they were at as musicians and also with the recording equipment at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's nothing they can really do about that. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. But I have a quote um, from some music critic at the time that really sums this up really well around the time of the third album. They said the lyrics have matured from wide-eyed fun to wide-eyed frustration. Ooh. Which is a great way to say that. I mean, we literally heard Dave's voice change, Mm. you know, and him start to sustain more notes. It's like you wanted him to do that. Yeah. You know, and he did it for us. And that's great. And I also want to shout out his voice for just like the the strong baritone of it. Uh It's just a great, very rich voice. He's not like a screamer. He's not a Robert Plant type. Like he's not going to soar over the track. He's going to be right down in the middle of the track, Mm -hmm. like where all the instruments are. And that that has a certain very distinct quality to it. Yeah. You know what sure, I mean? So sure. we got to shout that out. So at this point, they're just getting bigger and bigger. They're touring UK. They're touring Europe. Yep. By 84, this is only four years after they started, Yeah. they played a show with Elton John to 50,000 people. Insane. And this was in, I'm, I'm going to fuck this up, Ludwigshafen, Germany. <laughs> Tell me any Ludwigshafeners. Shout out to you guys. Shout out to you. Tell me if I said that right. I definitely didn't. But yeah, they keep putting out songs, they keep putting out singles, they got, some of their songs they're putting out, I didn't even realize when I went to the show how many songs they had. Because now, I mean, you, there's already songs they put out, but this one they got like People Are People, Master and Service, uh, Master and Servant, Blasphemous Rumors, which are great songs yeah. on this third album. Oh yeah. And then they just keep putting out like an album every year at this point. Yeah. Um, they're getting a little frustrated with uh, daytime radio because nighttime radio is playing them, obviously. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but daytime is like, no. You know, so that's their only battle. But their, their popularity is really increasing. Yeah. So then in 84, they put out the fourth album, Some Great Reward. And 
again, like you kind of have to listen to the full albums because as you, you could really hear it, just the sound getting deeper and deeper. It's going from single note synth lines to like now there's a lot of chords. Now there might be more different like pianos or certain type of drums. Now they're starting to get into sampling. Yep. So the sound is just expanding and just getting larger and larger and larger with every album pretty consistently. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even to this day. Yes. And they just put out an album this year. That's insane. Yeah. But we'll continue talking about other things. This is another quote. This is a quote from Fletch from 85 that I think is great of showing kind of his mindset because apparently he was the most like level headed mm-hmm. out of like the, the core group. And he said in 85, we've still got a long way to go before people will be proud to have a Depeche Mode album in their collection. Which is a great, honest thing to say. Right. Because when you go back and research the music, he's being very truthful there compared to the music of today or at their peak success. Right. Um, after three albums, though, they parted ways with Daniel Miller. Not in a bad way, but the it's producer, just... Yeah. Um, yeah. They were on Mute Records. Maybe you've heard of Mute Records. Maybe. I don't hear anything from Mute Records. <laughs> but Mute Records was getting huge as an indie label, and Daniel was getting busy. So he didn't have enough work. <laughs> he didn't have enough time to put in hours and hours with Depeche Mode like he necessarily wanted to. Yeah. So they... Uh, agreeably decided to part ways and let's take this time to say that they were putting lots of hours in i mean they were sometimes spending days just to get like one synth sequence correct because Mm -hmm. they were like really in the trenches with their because i I think martin in particular was like really up to date with like like all the newest musical technology Uh like sequencers and samples and all this stuff and just like really getting into like every single tone of like every possible thing that they could yeah so as your producer like this is not like you can't be producing multiple bands at the same time Correct. if you're producing for Depeche Mode. Yeah. That's just not how it's going to be. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. they had to move on from mm-hmm. it. But, it, you know, it's all good. It's not like they there, was, there wasn't any hard feelings or anything. No, not at all. It's just like, hey, man, got to make more money. Hey, man, us too. Yeah. You go do that. 86, mm-hmm. fifth album, Black Celebration. Let's have a black celebration. Again, the music is getting a lot moodier. Yeah. The sound is getting bigger. Every time. Yeah, they have David Bascombe in as a producer now. Mm-hmm. 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 Very renowned. I want to say, uh, I just had to say that certain songs from this era, like Behind the Wheel, the the wheel. was a really good. And uh, David Bascombe, they really liked him because he had been producing Tears for Fears. Mm. And if you listen to Tears for Fears, you can hear a similar sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I just think it's really interesting how I feel like a lot of the other bands in the 80s around this time, I feel like a lot of bands would use synthesizers, but they would be as more of like um, just like a sprinkle on top. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think In my head right now, I'm thinking of like The Cure. Like the cure, what they would use synths, you know, for some melody lines and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's drums, guitar, and bass. Yeah. And they would have synth as a feature. Yeah. And again, the thing that made Depeche so different was that the synth was everything for the them. Synth they was built everything. everything off the of synth. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's really important. But the synth, sorry, I was about to say synth album. The sixth album, mm-hmm. they decide maybe we could bring in some guitars. There's nothing wrong with that, right? So they, they and I, even they, they even even the name of the album is really kind of funny when you think about it like that. Yeah. Because they literally call it music for the masses. Yes. Um, uh, I love this era because uh, they said that they were listening to a lot of Philip Glass. Interesting. Al- Alan Wilder was. So they wanted a minimalist kind of sound mm. along with that heavy synthesizer influence. Right. And you can kind of hear it. You can kind of hear the art in the music starting to creep in. Absolutely. And this is, um, I got a shout out, Never Let Me Down Again. Uh-huh. Is on this album That's one of their classics. One. I feel like this right this um, this album starts like the classic Depeche period. Yeah, because at this point, you know, they've been touring UK and Europe. They've done some North American stuff, but now they're just they're either starting to explode. Yeah, you know, and they literally okay, so they get ready for their world tour, like their first like big world tour. Yeah, the music for the masses tour. Yeah, which starts off in '88, and the last stop. Is at the Pasadena Rose Bowl. Uh huh. In front of seventy-five thousand people. They're not gonna fill that up. They can't do it. 
I don't think they can. I think Depeche might do it. Really? They Depeche Mode? It. Who listens to them? But it's so crazy because they were, again, so this is 88. So this is eight years in. Uh-huh. And they eight years ago, you were just playing these tiny little clubs in Basildon. And now you're selling out the Pasadena Rose Bowl. Insane. In America. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Um, but I also want to say, I don't remember, I didn't write down who made this quote. But somebody was saying, the thing that was so crazy about that concert, it was like, they had played big shows before, but it was like, you know, supporting other people or like, you know, being part of a bigger show. Yes. This was 75,000 Depeche Mode fans. These were not here for other people and Depeche Mode's also there. All of those people were also there for Depeche Mode. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Insane. And the marketing really helped with it because they had people do the covers for their albums. They didn't draw them themselves or anything like mm-hmm. that. Their first album, they spent like $1,000 on that cover with the bird and the nest, and they absolutely hated it. They were just like, this is just crazy. And for the Music for the Masses album, they actually built huge megaphones, Mm. and they actually stood them up over whatever town that is. I forgot, but it's actually over a river, over a bay, and then they decided to get a map and take pictures of different locations and put the megaphones on top of those locations on maps so it made you feel like the megaphone was being taken to these different places kind of like a pink floydish thing with the pig kind of thing like the music is being brought to the masses yeah so like the marketing really helped that as well well they definitely had had a very distinct visual style at the time too it's so interesting when it goes into album covers though when you look Mm -hmm. at it it does look like a great piece of art the music for the masses album yeah cover but it also looks like you just took two megaphones and colored them and just put you didn't i didn't know it was a whole production like a hugely built one that had to be mounted up and stuff it's crazy yeah and i also want to say you know as far as like visuals like they had a very distinct like visual style at the time and they were people kind of like wrote them off as being just like a you know a bullshit kind of band because of how they looked yeah but when you really get into it they had the songs like no one could take that away from them and it's like like we were saying like you know, the, the the songs kept getting bigger and there was more depth to them. They kept getting more emotional and kind of moody. Mm-hmm. But the thing that really makes them stand out to me when I think about that is that it was very electronic, but there, it was also so, like, human. There was also a lot of soul to it. That's the beauty of Depeche Mode. I think that's what it is. It's like, especially, like, Dave as a front man. Right. Like, his face, his attitude does not have to match his sound. And that's so amazing because... At any given point, you can see these guys in an interview, and they're going to be laughing and smiling. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're going to have on hardcore leather. Do you like my cosplay today, by the way, guys? They're going to have hardcore leather, glasses, hair gelled back, and stuff like that. Totally looking unapproachable. But as soon as they open their mouth, as soon as you see them, they're like Yeah, they're fun guys. Yeah, and that's, that's the beauty. That's what I think drew the masses into them. Yeah. Well, it's that, and then I also just – I just think it's so interesting and like – how they can have like such, you know, electronic like and as time goes on it becomes even more like industrial too, like industrial music influences. But like there's it's so human and I think a lot of that has to I think it's two parts. I think it's a lot to do with Martin's songwriting mm-hmm. and then so much to do with Dave's voice as well. Yeah. Because when you're just using synths and like samples for everything, it's real easy. It can become like kind of cold and robotic. Mm-hmm. But it with them it just never did. Right. And I think that's a huge reason why people are able to connect with it, too, because it never felt like it's just some robotic production. It always felt like these are real guys making real music just with new technology. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I want to shout out that as well. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the Rose Bowl concert was filmed for a documentary, mm-hmm. um, Depeche Mode 101. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then now they're 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 really in again i've considered this to be like their peak era yeah that the promo for that 101 was crazy they literally put out a casting call to kids in america you had to be over 18 and they were going to put you in a van or a trailer and take you across country just listening to depeche mode just having yeah. a great time that must have been epic for kids that age yeah i bet you know what a great time uh-huh. so the next single that they put out from the album that they were working on was called Personal Jesus. Reach out, space. You may have heard it. This is probably the first Depeche song that I ever heard. Yeah. I mean, that song was ever. That song is on all kinds of radio stations. Oh yeah. You know, Johnny Cash covered it. Yes, he did, and that's their favorite cover of their song. I bet. Mm-hmm. But it's like now they're they're clearly 
coming into their own because all of these elements are combining because now there's there is guitar in it do 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 so they're but they're not taking anything out of the sound to add guitar they're just adding things they're, they're just, just mixing adding. up the pot you know so now it's like they're dance they're alt rock they're indie rock they're electronic they're all these things all at the same time and it's yeah. crazy and nobody sounds like that yeah and now they're becoming huge in america we were just making a joke before we uh did the podcast um that you got to bring the guitars back for the americans you know us americans we <laughs> like a nice guitar okay like nice guitar. it's actually pronounced guitar exactly <laughs> um but personal jesus became the biggest selling 12-inch signal in warner brothers history which is insane on the Violator album. Yes, yes. Yeah. And Violator, the seventh album came out in 1990. Yeah. Yeah. That's their favorite album, too. Like, they did an interview. Everybody involved with the Violator album or with De- Depeche Mode, they asked them, like, what's their favorite album of all time in Depeche Mode? And all you heard was, oh, it's got to be the Violator. Oh, the Violator. Yeah, Violator. Violator. Yeah. That was huge. It's huge commercially and then just artistically. It's a great statement. Yes. Because it's like I said, they're now they're like mixing all of those things because they, they've had this time as like the synth pop band they've started adding in all these other elements they have the guitars they've added like strings sometimes mm-hmm. they've added different kinds of percussion mm-hmm. just like everything that they can to make their sound the way that they want it to be they're not afraid to go for anything yeah. they're not putting themselves in a box yeah you know Very which true. is extremely important for any artist like if you think oh this is what our genre is then you're kind of already fucking yourself over yeah and i feel like they never did that no i don't think so either um I love Personal Jesus, but personally, my favorite one on the album is Enjoy the Silence. Ah, that's such Come a, on. That's such a beautiful song. Oh, man. I, I can just, I can almost remember the first time I heard it and like yeah. the effect on me. It was very little. And it's funny, the concept for the video, speaking of artistic concept, um, they didn't know what to do with the video. Mm-hmm. And the guy who had the concept for the video is like, in my mind, I have a king with a deck chair. whoa like like, this is ridiculous but it works but it worked yeah and that's that's such a beautiful song like that's so interesting because some of the earlier songs when they are synth so synth based i couldn't really imagine them as just like uh, any other kind of way yeah like as a you know like an acoustic ballad or like a piano ballad supposed to be one exactly like this now they're at the point where these songs they use electronic instrumentation, but these are just beautiful songs yeah. that could be transposed into any style. True. Like, you could play this guitar, or you could play this song with an acoustic guitar mm-hmm. and just a piano, and it would be a beautiful song. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Definitely. they're really just, well, Martin particularly, with the songwriting, is just really hitting a different level. Because Daniel was right. It's okay. Martin's going to write the songs. It's, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> just let him do it. I can tell. But I also want, this was a funny thing that I, I wrote this down. They did an album signing in Beverly Hills. 10,000 fans came to this album signing. It shut down traffic in LA. Yes. That's crazy. That's insane. That's some Beatlemania type shit. Yeah, they were happy for that because that was a promotion for the album. And they said that um, they were supposed to be there for like four hours. Mm -hmm. And they honestly only got like four autographs done. And then everybody started acting all wild. So they had to go home. Security couldn't stop it. Yeah, Yeah, they were like, that was the best day for us. We didn't have to do too much. We just there for a little bit. It's a easy day of work. And yeah. then you get home and you get on the news and then they're the biggest thing on the news because of all of what happened yeah, in Beverly Hills. Yeah, they're like, Hills. oh, okay. Well, they're like, there's a promotion right there. Hey, hey, free promo. <laughs> um, I'll shout out a few songs on this album. Policy of Truth. You already shouted out Enjoy the Silence. Love it. And um, World in My Eyes. Let me show you. That's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many songs. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, the thing that also blew me away when I went to see them in concert was how many songs they had and how they were all great. Mm -hmm. And they were all stuck in my head. Like, for weeks afterwards. I believe it. You know what I mean? So that also blew me away. How cool. And uh, more proof that around this time, they're really just getting on another level. In 91, Martin was honored by ASCAP, which is the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, mm-hmm. for Policy of Truth and Enjoy the Silence, because they were so huge at the time. Like, even the association of music writers is like, you, you did something here. Who sings this? Yep. You guys, you got it. You did it. You know what I mean? I, think, I just think that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you think about whoever the head of that department is. I mean, I don't want to say they're not in touch with music, <laughs> but, like, you know what I'm saying. They got corporate things to do all day. Yeah. Like, they're not thinking about that all the time. Uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so they put out that album, obviously huge. They're touring. They're playing more shows. They eventually regroup to work on a new album 
which comes out in 93. Yeah. Songs of Faith and Devotion. Yeah, where they're being heavily influenced by distorted guitars and the grunge sound that's mm-hmm. coming out. So. But again, so it's their, it, they never really, they did change their sound, but they never changed who they were, right? Yeah. They yeah. just took things that were happening and just added it into the blender. Which is great and not in a fake way, mm-hmm. right? Because you hate to see your artist just flip the script on you, like all of a sudden, like your artist who probably wouldn't have been a hipster is all of a sudden a hipster or something <laughs> like that. And you're just well, like, that's, that's what the kids are doing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they always, it always felt like they just, as artists, they just wanted to expand. Yes. They're not like, oh, well, that's what's selling, so we should do that. Correct. I never, you never get that vibe from them. It always feels very heartfelt. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why... I think people connect to it so much because even with this, you know, electronic music, there is still that heart. Yeah. You know? I agree. Um, So obviously that's a huge, huge album. I have a quote here from Martin. Right now there's a lot of dance tracks out there and I think everyone expected us to put out a dance album. I think subconsciously I tried to rebel against that. (laughs) Which again is great because basically this is how I interpret that quote and maybe it's a little egotistical on there, like my thinking of them. But I feel like at this point, people have kind of caught up to what they were doing mm-hmm. as far as like the synth dance kind of stuff. And that, you know, it was kind of, that was a, a way more prevalent sound now. Yeah. So they're like, well, we're not just going to keep doing that. We've done this. Yeah. We have to do other things. Let's add more guitars. Let's make it a little grungier. Let's make it a little dirtier. Yeah. You know? I can honestly say that, that I agree with that. Because like they birthed like a, a group that I really love, Lady Tron. Mm. And Lady Tron is all synths. Okay. Yeah. You go to the concert, it's just like four or five synths there and they're just like, dude, and they're, they're singing. <laughs> but there's no front man dancing or anything like that. But I know they were born out of Depeche Mode. Hell yeah. Um, another song I want to shout out on this one is Walking in My Shoes. Great song. It's so crazy when you mention the songs, you can hear him singing the chorus right away. Like, I know. He's like in my Walking right ear. Walking in my shoes, <laughs> standing in my footsteps. Um, so they keep touring. 90, in 95, Alan leaves the band. Yes. Alan is gone. And I have a quote from him because I got, I got quotes galore. <laughs> <laughs> I came prepared today. Let me tell you that. He said, I decided to leave during the making of that album um, which would be, which would end up becoming uh, 1997's Ultra. Yes. He said, I decided to leave during the making of that album. I remember one or two occasions where I thought, this is just not enjoyable. This is the last time I want to be in this situation. Ugh, the album is more digital than anything. And uh, I would say if that is a time to go, that would be the time to go. Well, that, and then there's also a lot more, there's a lot of personal things happening in the band now. Yeah. Because now they've, I don't want to say they're falling into the, the rock star traps, but there is a little bit of, you know, Dave's getting into drugs. Yes. Uh, Martin's getting into alcohol. Yeah. You know what I mean? Things aren't as happy and, like, connected within the band as they were on the come up now that they've hit that level. That level, you know, you know the stress of having to maintain. You know, maybe nobody's telling you per se, but you could be telling yourself that, you mm-hmm. know. Martin said he was drinking from the time they got into the studio until the time they left. Some good music was probably really written. And but, probably after. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Gotta keep <laughs> it probably up. before. <laughs> it doesn't stop. But, now, but no, man. but it gets it gets serious, though, because in 96, Dave ODs. And he dies in- for two minutes. <laughs> he does. Sorry, the way you said that, I was like, wait, don't just say that. But no, he did actually die for like two minutes. He mm-hmm. OD'd in L.A. on heroin, I think. Yes, definitely heroin. Yeah. Died and for two minutes and came he, back. Yeah, he was literally dead. So that's clearly things within the band are not, not going functioning well. as well as they could be. Yeah, and I believe he got in trouble a little bit with the law or something like that. He did have a problem. He did, but he completed a rehab program and his record was expunged. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, INS and immigration, they'll straighten you up real quick. Yeah, you know, if you're not from here and you're causing trouble, it's yeah, like, you don't have a lot of choice. I might not be able to come back here. I want to. I still want to play stadiums in America. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. I don't love heroin that much. Yeah, it's pretty sunny and nice. We got some great views over here. <laughs> Depending on where you are. True. If you're in New York, not so much. No, it's very gothic here. Very much <laughs> like where you're from. Very much like England. <laughs> but they keep working. Mm-hmm. They keep working on music, even though Alan's gone. Yeah. Even though Dave almost died, well, did die, but not permanently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was I don't ro- think I've ever said that sentence he before. He got a first-class <laughs> ticket to the resurrection. <laughs> yes, he came back, and he was now a Cuban man. Mm-hmm. Um, just kidding, guys. That was a Scarface joke. Okay, so 
Yeah, so the ninth album is Ultra in 1997. They performed live for the first time in three years. Yes. After Alan left, and I guess after the last tour, Alan left, all this stuff, this stuff happened with Dave. They just didn't, they didn't tour at all. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy to not play, to go from playing all over the world, like hundreds, I mean, during the like Music for the Masses tour and like Violator tour, they were playing like hundreds of shows in hundreds of countries for millions of people. Mm-hmm. And then you go from that to only a few years later, not playing a single show for three years. Right. That's, that's pretty, wild. That, that's crazy. Yeah, but it must have been a good rest break for them. They probably just needed a nap. We said that about the Eagles. Just need a nap. They just need a nap. 15, three years. Who knows? Yeah. Same, whatever. Same shit. Um, Let's see. So in 98, they put out a compilation album of their singles Mm -hmm. from 86 to 96. Did more tours. Oh, yeah. um, Played the former USSR for the first time. Which is cool. Back in the USSR. Wrong Um, artist. (laughs) What? That's not the Pesh mode? <laughs> it's the Beatles. Um, in 2000, it was their 20-year anniversary, which was crazy for when I read that because I'm like, oh, that means their 40-year anniversary happened only a couple years ago. Yeah, wild. I guess they're at 43 years now. Yeah, they are doing their About thing. to be 44. Yeah, and they're just constantly hitting number ones. Like, I was just going through them. Um, it's weird now with streaming and stuff like that, you know, and it used to be used to think used to think of it as no big deal when somebody went platinum, but they actually sold a million hard copies of their album to a million people yeah. here in the U.S. alone, which is yeah. kind of wild for now. I mean, people barely break the hundred thousands in terms of hard copy sales, and it's like a million people went out and were like, "I need that in and my they house." Needed it. Yeah, which is crazy. And they're getting kind of like 50-50 reviews. They're still hitting number one, but like magazines like Rolling Stone are thinking like they're the best and this is great and this is number one. But all those kind of like smaller magazines that, you know, kind of started out with them are saying like, oh, this is okay. Right. kind of too mainstream. But that's expected. Definitely after Alan left, the reviews were not as positive. Right. Which makes sense because, again, he was classically trained guy and you definitely could tell with him not being there but it's not like the music isn't so great right but there is obviously an element that he had that they can't do exactly without him yeah you know but that's a whole different thing yeah um so 2001 10th album exciter i love the single word titles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it's right to the punch right to the point yeah which is perfect for them um 2005 11th album playing the angle uh sorry angel I just said, well, I can't even talk today. Um, this was actually the first album to have songs written by Dave. Yes. Which I think is really interesting because he's singing and he's singing all these songs with all of his heart and all of his emotion. He, yeah. None of these words were his. Right. Which I think is a whole another talent in itself to be able to like have these words like, I'm Martin, you're Dave. I'm like, here's the song I wrote. And he has to really embody the song and like put himself in that mindset to, to really make these songs come to life when he had nothing to do with the writing of it. I think that's the beauty of some artists. Like, I love to hear about a band where there's no infighting about who gets to do what. Like, you do what you do best. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Dave sings really, really well. He's the front man. He brings in all the... And he had a lot of connects in the beginning, too. And that's what really got them on the go. But he's not necessarily the songwriter. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? So if somebody writes the song for him... He's so happy to sing it. Like, the only right. other person I've really heard of that does stuff like that is, like, Roger Daltrey, mm-hmm. where he's just like, just tell me exactly me how you want me to do yeah, it, yeah. and I'll do it. And it's just like, that is amazing. I, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of beauty in, like, knowing your full, full, full gifts capacity mm-hmm. and being able to take it to to the most because you know that that is what you do. You are the right. singer, like, you know? Well, that's the whole thing about being in a band and is being able to use everybody's talents to equal out everybody else. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, part of the reason that he started writing songs, because he did put a solo album out, you know, after, or, you know, separate from Depeche. Yeah. But it's like, they knew during that time, it's like, Dave's got the voice, Martin's got the lyrics, and there wasn't really like the ego of it, or of like Martin being like, well, no, I want to sing. Right. And he did sing some songs, yeah. but you know, it wasn't, it, they weren't fighting about that. Yeah. It was like, okay, this is what's best for the music that we're making as a collective. What a testament. Yeah. You know what I mean? Love that. Um, so, you know, at this point, you know, they keep putting out albums, and I'm going to name all the albums, but it's like, they've, they're already obviously clearly established. They've mm. been around for what, 25 years at this point. They've <laughs> been huge. They've sold 
millions of records. They still have to prove it to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sold on this. No, I just want to say that because I feel like, you know what I noticed when we do podcasts? Like, the the come up is the most fun thing to talk about. Yeah. And then at some point, it's just like, yeah, they put out another album, it went platinum, they put another one, two times platinum, what a Grammy, another one. Like, at some point, it's like, I'm not saying you take it for granted, but it's just like known, like, at this point... Yeah, they make great music. Mm-hmm. They're sticking around. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so let me see. So 2005, yeah, that was playing the Angel. Um, 2009, Sounds of the Universe. Mm-hmm. 2013, Delta Machine. 2017, Spirit. And 2023, Memento Moy. Yeah. And unfortunately, like six weeks before... They started recording that album. Fletch died of yeah. a what aortic dissection? Dis dissection? I don't really know what that means. Something yeah. with his aorta, obviously. But I mean, did they cut it before and it ruptured, or did it just come apart itself? That's a really big. Yeah, I don't. Tube. I, I I don't know. All I know is that unfortunately he had passed away at like sixty. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like yeah, and um. They decided to just keep going. I mean, they they decided to they weren't gonna stop. Then they were just gonna continue on as a duo of Dave and Martin. Because at this point, like we're we've been doing this for forty years. We're just gonna add some other guy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I I don't know. And then you have to worry about like, oh, is the chemistry gonna be the same? Like, what? How is this gonna be different? Like, there's no way that you can just really do that. Like, it, I don't know. But well, they decided to keep going. Yeah, because when um, Alan left. Right. Yeah. When Alan left, um, they were kind of like he was never. They kind of gave him the vibe like he was never really part of the band, and he had been there for so many years. Mm. But the core that came from Basildon, just kind of, uh, I don't know. He always felt like he was a little bit on the outside, right? Which is so interesting. I mean, it's like decades, a decade yeah. together. Hmm. So yeah, I can only imagine bringing somebody else in. I do have another quote here from Martin around the time of uh, 2005, um, which I think is a very good way of summing up kind of what I've been saying about like where the heart in their music is. And he, Martin Gore said, I never see our music as over dark. There's always an element of hope, and I hope that comes out in our music. It does. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about it is because, you know, the music can be so dark and depressing, but there is always something in there that hooks you. There is some, there's some kind of positivity. There's some kind of like, it can get better. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you know, something where, you know, people have to deal with, we're dealing with it, but there is another side to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's why there's just so many things that leading up to this band becoming how big they were, are, and why people love them so much to this day. And now, I mean, we're pretty much... You know, we said all their albums and stuff. Yeah. But, like, okay, so Momentum Boy came out in 2023, and that's the tour that I saw them on. So mm. that's 43 years into them being a band is when I saw them. And I'm sti- I am was still just completely blown away by how good they were. Yeah. You know? And I think that's just, I don't know, it's insane. It's it, insane. It is. What's your uh, favorite part of the band? Like, what, what makes Depeche Mode for you? Like, what is it? Well, obviously the synths. But the thing that I think... Um, my perception of it changed after seeing them because there were certain things that Martin was playing on guitar at the show that I thought were since in the recording. Okay. So now I think of it as just, just being able to take any sound from anything that they want and making it sound like Depeche Mode. You know, does that make sense? I don't know if that made sense the way that I said it. Yeah, because you thought it was a synth, but it can be replicated on another instrument. So that's... Yeah, but it's like they they know what they want it to sound like, and they're going to figure out a way to do it regardless of what instrument it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether it's a certain sample that they're looking for, if it's a certain patch on a keyboard, if it's a certain guitar effect, they will make whatever tone they want to exist, exist. Yeah. That's what I realized after seeing them live. Oh, I didn't even mention something else besides, so they always had like a really strong ear for melody and that's very obvious in all of their mm-hmm. music. But even from the first album, their taste in vocal harmonies was really strong. Yeah. And that was another thing that really stood out to me when I saw them is that their vocal harmonies were fantastic. New life. New life. <laughs> and Martin uh, was doing most of the harmonies, and he would do, like, sometimes he would harmonize, like, a full octave above where Dave was, because Dave would be low, and, yeah. and Martin would be high, and it makes, it just makes the sound, again, sound so much more depth yeah. than if it was just Dave. Very cool. You know what I mean? 
So I guess that's my biggest takeaway after seeing them and, and listening to so many of their songs. And there were so many songs that I heard for the first time at the show that are now some of my favorite songs from them. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just really can't say enough about how great this band is. And clearly they're just so influential mm-hmm. on all so much music today. I mean, we were talking about it like a little bit earlier. Like so much music today, like pop music, is all based on the synthesizer. Right. And, you know... Some people might like it. Some people might not like it. I'm not here to comment on that. I'm just here to say that clearly Depeche Mode had a huge deal to being that, to to that coming about. Yeah. You know, and it's really hard to understate that influence. Yeah. And that's really what I'm trying to say. That is for sure. Yeah, I just love that the the music can sound so dark and brooding, but they themselves are a big contrast to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved when he said like there's always a little bit of hope and yeah. and that is what attracts the masses because they can easily delve into being like really pissy guys like mm-hmm. really dark just depressed and, you know and upset all the time you know what I'm saying destroying stuff everywhere they go I mean we know bands like that we love some bands like that okay some of them <laughs> but I, I think that Deepash's music it just sounds so dark sometimes that their glimmer of hope that they weave in with their personalities and also with some of their lyrics is is what makes them for me. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. That without that then it wouldn't be I don't know if it would be as fun to listen to. No, I don't think know? it would, no, I don't think it would be as huge or anything like that. I mean, a lot of their shows nothing happens. They're like a little bits of riots and stuff like that, but like nothing really happens in those like mass like crazy rock and roll moments right, and it's right. like you know if they if they themselves had been darker people it could have got fucked up yes yeah yeah you know? i didn't really think about that yeah. and now i'm thinking about it at the concert i'm like there was no it was only positive energy yeah even though some of these songs are really dark and really depressing like it really felt like an uplifting thing to be at and i want to say i mean this first set okay so they did one weekend in brooklyn uh-huh. which is when i saw them and then the next weekend they were playing manhattan I was literally considering going to see them again. <laughs> I didn't do it just because tickets are fucking expensive now. Yeah. But I was really considering it. That's how good they were. I don't know if I've ever said that about anyone else. Right. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're just legendary. Mm-hmm. And I love them. I think you guys love them if you're watching this, <laughs> listening to this or whatever. Hey, tell us any things that we left out, right? Yeah, tell us what we missed. Um, tell us what your favorite Depeche songs are. Uh-huh. I'd really like to know because, I mean, I'm sure there's still some that I haven't heard. They have yeah. so many albums. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm really curious. Um, yeah, and then just tell us why you love Depeche Mode, I guess. We want to hear about it. Oh, sure. Let's have a conversation, guys. I know. What shows did you go to? Some of you are, like, you know, probably approaching, like, I don't know, 50, 55 and stuff like that. You probably were teens at yeah. this time. Yeah, let us know because we know, you know, you guys are still with it. Yeah. <laughs> if you are watching, guys, that means you're cool. <laughs> that means you. It means you taught us how to be cool. Hell Yeah. <laughs> So shout out to all of you for watching slash listening. Shout out to Depeche Mode for bringing all this amazing music into our lives. Oh, yeah. And uh, until next time, this has been Music Maniacs with Sight After Dark. We'll see you soon. See you.